Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we are joined today on the other side of the mic, longtime friend of the show, of the program, but first time that you've been on, which is pretty nuts. I mean, we first uh, got acquainted back in 2017, right when you were uh, sort of leaving Point 72 to start Ikigai, and obviously we've been through the slings and arrows of, of this market. Um, you have seen firsthand the damage uh, that FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried caused to the market, almost, uh, you know, if, if, if you would um, indulge me, I could say the poster child for what, what sort of happened, the fallout, if you will. So, Travis, we appreciate you coming on the show, especially with the criminal trial happening this week. Maybe we can just sort of start. It's been almost a year out. What sort of um, what sort of the latest update? Where do we where do we even begin? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, that was the most challenging event of my career and one of the most challenging uh, periods of time in my life. Uh, a week after FTX collapsed, my mom got really sick. Uh, and thank God she's doing fine now and has made a full recovery. But she was in the hospital for kind of 35 of the first 45 days after FTX collapsed and, and got real serious there a couple times, um, which that that one two punch, uh, you know, that was tough sledding <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, but like. Uh, these things generally go in life, their seasons, and uh, eventually storm clouds roll through and uh, there's sunshine and blue skies on the backside of that. And, you know, I think the trend over the course of this year has certainly been in that direction. And, you know, there's still uncertainty with exactly how things are going to play out. I think that's true for the market broadly. That's true for the FTX situation specifically. I think that's true for, for Ikigai to some extent specifically, but you know, I think, you know, I think it's all going to work out. Okay. So. So you had about um, the majority of the firm's funds on FTX at the time of the implosion, 65 million, $65 million. So, what what are the next steps? You know, we kind of talked about it at the time, but maybe just for listeners who are interested in what a process looks like for a firm that has to navigate um, that type of counterparty. Um, I mean, counterparty risk gone wrong. Yes, this is the first time I've had experience in a bankruptcy. And learned a lot about bankruptcy for better or for worse. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully don't have to put that knowledge base to use again anytime soon. But I have learned a lot about bankruptcy and have been very focused on this bankruptcy process. And there's been, you know, crypto, we have a tendency to be collaborative and communicative. And so when FTX happened, you know, creditors very quickly, um, became collaborative and communicative and there's been a high uh there's been high quality information flow going on since the very very beginning um which has been helpful and 
the bankruptcy, I would say overall, has been going better than expected. You could certainly nitpick for things that aren't going as well. You know, a lot of people have been talking about the fees that the debtors are charging, Sullivan and Cromwell, John Ray, Alvarez and Marsal, all these guys. You know, it is, I think, on pace to be the most expensive bankruptcy in U.S. history. I don't know what the exact run rate is right now, but earlier this year, they were doing about a million and a half dollars a day in fees, which is a pretty tough pill to swallow, obviously. Um, but if you'd asked me at the very beginning of this, is this going to be one of the most expensive bankruptcies of all time? I think my base case would have been yes. Um, and recoveries, expected recoveries from the bankruptcy have certainly been uh, trending in a much more positive direction than we would have assumed. What do we think in the beginning? Like it was going to be, I mean, maybe this is just the fog of war at the time um, that kind of painted a, a more um, dramatic picture of the situation. You know, most people just thought they'd get 10%, if not, if not nothing. Now it's looking, I mean, I think the assets that we found under the couches uh, over there at, at FTX um, amount to something like 60, 70%. It seems like uh, creditors will, will sort of be able to get back. Is that, is that, is that the math? Yeah. So the first bid that I saw, which is right before Thanksgiving, you know, there's a claims market. There's mm -hmm. a very active claims market. There's a whole little corner of traditional finance that all they do is go from bankruptcy to bankruptcy and buy claims and try and get back more distributions than what they paid in claims. Right. This is the whole thing. This is one of the biggest bankruptcies in the history of the United States. This is a very active claims market that's going on right now. First bid that we saw right before Thanksgiving, six cents, six cents on the dollar. You got a hundred dollars mm -hmm. stuck you get six cents back. Uh, claims are now in the low forties right now. And that number for clean claims, claims that don't have customer clawback preferences. And maybe we can talk about that in a second. Um, and that number's moving higher. And, uh, that's been, uh, due to a number of different things. Uh, they have just found more assets. Uh, Anthropic has made a, a big difference. Um, this, the, you know, Sam put $500 million into the series B of, of Anthropic AI. This is a competitor to chat GPT, mm -hmm. LLM called Claude. Some people say Claude's, you know, better than, than, uh, than open AI, than chat GPT for some stuff. And Google put $300 million into Anthropic in February this year. And then AWS just came along last year and put at least 1.25 billion and potentially up to 4 billion of total investment into Anthropic, which that in and of itself is incredible. There's, there's, to my knowledge, there's never been a company that has received that magnitude of investment from both Google and Amazon, which I think just that in and of itself is yeah. pretty cool. And, and the FTX bankruptcy estate owns a lot of that. And so guys that are paying low forties today are expecting, you know, I think there is a safe base case to kind of 65, ish, you know, in between 60 and 70 cents. And then there's multiple mm -hmm. avenues of upside from there without giving any consideration to FTX 2.0. And it's my understanding that claims buyers today are really assigning no value to FTX 2.0 right now. So I'd say everything that happens with 2.0, the extent that goes forward would be icing on the cake. And what do you think, what do you make of the, the FTX 2.0 move? Is this something that you think has has legs or, or potentially not? So it's not a short putt. I don't want to 
tell people it's a short putt or, or, or make it seem like it's a short putt, but it, but it is doable. And the bankruptcy estate is running an auction. They mm. will pick a, a winning bidder for that auction. That will probably be public in November and they will carve out the exchange assets, basically a code base and a customer list. And then the winning bidder will, uh, use some mechanism TBD on details to try and turn creditors of FTX into stakeholders of FTX 2.0. And there's kind of different ways you can do that. Um, and there's kind of different levers that, that the bankruptcy estate can pull to try and set FTX 2.0 up for success, you know, uh, to a greater or lesser degree. And there's trade-offs that happen with that. And like, mm. you know, one example would be like, as you're distributing out funds back to creditors, you know, you can mail checks, you know, you can send out checks in the mail to people and mail them, or you could have people uh, receive USDC on FTX 2.0. That would be like an example, right? And everybody had to go through a full KYC process to file their claim in the bankruptcy anyways. So people, you know, entities are KYC'd on this thing. That would be an example you know, maybe a further example would be like instead of selling the Solana, uh, you know, you know, the FTX estate has a big chunk of Solana that they're sitting on some unlocked, some locked. Instead of selling the Solana, what if you distributed it in kind onto mm. FTX 2.0, for example? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, you know, there's there's different levers that you can pull like that. And then you can go even further than that. And there's been conversations around tokenizing the venture portfolio, mm -hmm. the FTX estate. You know, that would be like a this really interesting you know, like imagine you could get exposure to Anthropic through an Anthropic token and you let that thing trade. That would be a very unique asset that's not available anywhere else, right? And, you know, you can't off this. That's obviously security. So you got to have the right KYC around, you know, all of that. But that would be another example that you could do that if you did that, then the likelihood that the FTX 2.0 would, would, would get further traction would be higher and not lower. Um, so all that is still up in the air. It's all kind of TBD. But some... Some restart of the exchange is, is going to be attempted. And, you know, I think it's a great opportunity. I think there's there's the potential for creditors to be turned into stakeholders and customers. And then you combine that and what that gives you in terms of beating the cold start problem, right? The customer acquisition cost problem that all crypto exchanges face. It's why crypto exchanges spend so much money on customer acquisitions. You see them plastered all over F1 and yeah. UFC and Super Bowl ads and sporting arenas and all this kind of stuff, right? Customer acquisitions are very important. Well, you have the opportunity with FTX 2.0 to have tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of customers, including guys that do a lot of volume. You know, we did a lot of volume on FTX, you know, guys like us uh, that could come in, do a lot of volume. Liquidity begets liquidity. Um, and there's there's the potential for something to work out really well there that could drive additional recoveries for creditors. And that would be a good thing. And then the last thing I would say on FTX 2.0 is you would also have to just look at the competitive landscape of the offshore crypto market. And what do you think about trying to go in and compete in that competitive landscape? Well, you know, the, when I look at that landscape, it looks like a place that I would I would love to try and compete. You know, the the number one dominant player in the offshore crypto exchange landscape is in a category five shitstorm with Binance. <laughs> These guys are in trouble with every 
major regulator on planet Earth and every payment processor and credit card company is racing to see who can deplatform the fastest. I mean, that Wall so, Street Journal article was just insane. Um, you, you saw basically every high profile executive leave the firm. There's obviously the, um, the rumor or rather the reporting around, uh, massive DOJ fine. Um, there's the, I mean, the rumor mill is kind of swirling with different things about whether or not CZ might have to step down or whether he's going to step down. How do you, how do you navigate, um, as an investor, a lot of the uncertainty and then also ensure that you don't have sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, biases from what happened around FTX sort of that, that might, uh, color or shape your thinking when it comes to other venues out there, um, namely Binance, but also of course, Wobi, which you've tweeted about, um, you know, I, I guess to play devil's advocate, some people might think, well, you got really burned. So, that might translate into you thinking that there are other shoes that might drop, but you you have strong conviction around um, there being a lot more under this, a lot more going on under the surface that that could be insidious and and akin, maybe not. Um, well, well, let's start there. What do you think might be going on under the hood of of a Binance or a Huobi, and uh, and what would that mean for the market? Probably need to do another podcast on that, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, I think we do, I think we should do a whole nother episode on that if you want to. I did one with 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 Tom Shaughnessy mm-hmm. um, at Delphi a few weeks ago. Um, if I was going to try and you know give you a soundbite on it, I think you can go to my Twitter account. My pinned tweet is a list of factual events that have happened with Binance since December of last year. This is, it's not a list of conjecture. It's just a, 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 a list of factual yeah. events. And you can look at that list and you can decide what you think about that situation. And I think that's the best way to, um, to kind of sum it up. There's layers of conjecture that I can add on top of that. Um, you know, the vantage point from which I come to it was in the wake of the FTX collapse and you look at the Binance situation and you say, well, if Sam did this with FTX, what is the likelihood that Chang Ping might be doing something similar with Binance? And that likelihood just seemed uh, much too high to me to stand by and say nothing. And so in the second week of December of last year, I wrote a tweet thread that went pretty viral, publicly warning about the risks around Binance uh, for the first time. And then it has just been all downhill for mm. finance month after month since then. So my original views have been entirely vindicated. So this idea that like I'm coming at Binance from some perspective that is not warranted by the set of facts that are in place there, that's nonsense. They're just, that's not the, the st- that's not the world we're living in. So what do you do as a trader or a fund? If there's this, the trust has been sort of sucked out of of the marketplace. Where do you go, and and what sort of parameters need to be in place now, in hindsight, for you to trust a given venue? Certainly, a greater level of transparency than what we have ever gotten from Changping Zhao. You look at 
the body of actions that we get from him, not just over the last year, but just over the entirety of Binance. Um, their proof of reserves is completely fugazi. You know that. It's entirely mm-hmm. fake news. The, the customer deposits number is fake news, and they don't sign their wallets. A lot of these wallets, they claim to be theirs. There's no proof that they're actually in control of a, a number of these wallets. Uh, so DeFi Llama throws up some $55 mm-hmm. billion dollar number. That's completely uns- unsubstantiated. This is the single most important person and the single most important entity in crypto. That's not hyper- hyperbolic. That is unequivocal fact. And we just deserve a higher level of transparency than what we get. This, this four, <laughs> Frank, Frank, you and I kind of got into this more or less around the same time. We have poured, think about how much you and I have sacrificed for the sake of this ecosystem. We have poured blood, sweat, tears, sacrificed all kinds of shit for the sake of this ecosystem. We deserve collectively a higher level of transparency than what we've gotten from the most important person and the most important entity. Yeah, it's a it's a bit disconcerting. Um, uh, sometimes when people raise claims about, I mean, very obvious things, I mean, just people leaving the firm, all, the lawyers, um, and and responding to it so flippantly, it just, it just, I mean, it would be easy to come up with an actual defense of the situation or to truly address it in in mature way. Um, I mean, this isn't like, this, this isn't like a, you know, this isn't, he doesn't run a restaurant or, or like a, a playground. I mean, this is like an actual marketplace where people have their livelihoods at stake. A really big one. Yeah. And so what do you, what do you think about in terms of what will happen next? What are you, what are you looking at for the, the case? What type of information, um, are you interested to see what are you going to be paying attention to um, as the criminal trial unfolds for SBF? Well, I just hope that justice is done. We've got a judicial system in the United States that usually works. Not all the time. You hope it works. And I'm hoping it's going to work this time. And if he committed crimes, he's going to be convicted of those crimes. And then, He's going to get whatever punishment our judicial system deems necessary for those crimes. And if he didn't commit crimes, then I guess he's not going to go to jail. <laughs> did you uh, check out the Michael Lewis interview? How I much did, did that take you off? Now, there was um, He basically said that it was a money-making business and that had it not been for CZ, uh, alluding to him at least, casting aspersions about the business probably would still exist today. Right which is pretty nonsensical. Let's, let's wrap up with sort of your macro outlook. Um, I mean, obviously, macro is likely in the driver's seat for crypto and all assets with the U.S. Federal Reserve basically saying they're going to keep rates steady, likely hiking a year. What does that mean for crypto and how do you play this? I think macro has mattered less for crypto over the course of 2023 than it had over prior years. That may change as we move into 2024 and get some of these idiosyncratic issues uh, behind us. We're still not quite there yet. So if macro hasn't been in charge or leading leading the market, what has? Regulatory dramas? Yeah. Bitcoin's up 60-something percent, 70-something 70, 70 percent year-to-date, and... 
I think most of that was just a bounce off of deeply oversold levels. Yeah. And also supportive from macro broadly, but we're just still dealing with a lot of idiosyncratic stuff, including positive things. You know, the spot Bitcoin ETF is the number one most important bullish idiosyncratic factor. And then I think what happens with Binance and Justin Sun and Huobi and TUSD and all this stuff is the number one most important idiosyncratic, you know, negative situation that still needs to play out. Well, once we wait through this week and and just just get through it, get through the trial, we'll have you back on to talk about your concerns around Huobi, Binance at all. Appreciate you taking the time to come on the program. We're going to have you back on soon. Travis Kling, thank you so much. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day. Be safe out there. Thank mm-hmm. you.